the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And today, I thank you for being here with us. Our discussion will be the doctrine of God and the theology proper. Now, how did we get this account of the Christian God? That's my question. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, how should we pray? Jesus responded with the Lord's Prayer. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallow be thy name. When we pray, hollow be your name, hollow is this reference to who God is, holiness, a setting apart of profane things above all else. We can see that the world uses people in an exalting, revering manner. People will admire musicians and singers. They walk on stage in the audience. They begin to shake and cry and tremble with emotion. The effects of putting them on this high pedestal above all other things. We see this when a person sets his job or his boss above all other motives to become like their boss or to move up the company ladder. Maybe it's the money that will entitle them as one who has risen to the top and this has become hollowed to them, glorified in their lives. Although this is a far cry from what hollow or reverence really means, in most cases, hollow has been hijacked. God has told us his name that there is no other like him. He is above all things and above all idols, preeminent. If we look at Exodus 20, very early within the manuscripts, four out of the Ten Commandments is directed towards God as he begins to reveal himself. And as he reveals himself, he says this in Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness in heaven or in earth. 
and thou and you will not bow down thyself to them nor serve them and you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain he describes this holiness God that is a righteousness that is perfect in him and all power consuming God yet in scripture we don't find God demanding us to worship him. So when the atheist or the skeptic says, uh, what a narcissist of a God wanting everyone to worship him, why would God make his creatures bow down and worship him? I want you to know nowhere in scripture does it say the requirement for loving God is to worship him. Those who meet God, as it were, face to face, know him as a sovereign king, a savior, and a friend. When you know him, you can do no other than to bow down to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's something you do as a Christian, not because he demands it. Instead, you know his strength, his compassion, and grace. We know a couple of men in the Bible that saw his glory. And we read this in the scriptures of Isaiah 6. It says, Isaiah, in the year of King Uzziah, died. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And so I said, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King. When you have seen God in his glory, there's no other thing but to recognize that you are unclean compared to the righteousness and the holiness of God, that you are unclean. And here he says, I am undone. And even John the Apostle, spending three years with Jesus the Messiah, we see in Revelation as he begins to see a vision of Christ, it says John the Apostle was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, Revelation 1.10. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see right in a book and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, his head, his head and hair were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. I like here how John is trying to describe as he's actually seeing the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, And he's trying to describe what he's seeing. And when I saw him, he says, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. And he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. 
When you stand before an all-powerful being, a maximum supreme being who has called you by name, I'm telling you, you cannot do no other than to bow down and worship him. So it's not by manipulation. It's not what God requires, yet I will do it a thousand times. No other would I bow down to but God alone. Let's talk about how we have this doctrine of God or this theology proper. When we look at the word theology, theology comes from theo, God, and logi, steady. I want to know how this Christian God came to be this triune God, three distinct persons, all equal, but one God. As we start the record of the testimony of this monotheistic God, mono meaning one, we're familiar with that, right? When we're listening to our stereos in our radio, we always see, do you want to turn it on on mono or stereo? Moni meaning single and stereo meaning uh, dual, right? So we're familiar with that term. Well, here we got the monotheistic God, mono meaning one and and theist or theistic meaning God. The Jewish people had firsthand knowledge of God as he would declare to them who he was. Right from the start, the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That name, in the beginning God, that name God in the Hebrew language is Elohim. Elohim. And when you look that up in the Hebrew It's amazing because you find out the very first time that God uses his name in the Bible, he uses what the Hebrews call plural intensive, but singular in meaning. Think about that for a second. Here is this word God that's plural, plural intensive, and yet singular in meaning. To a devout Christian, this makes sense that God would declare who he is by using plural, intensive, and singular meaning word like God. But that was 4,000 years ago after the fact. Yes, we can look back, but we had a lot of revealing throughout the years. God could have used a singular word for God like El, which means singular, God, or Eloha, Eloha. If we look at El, which means singular, it's a singular name for God. Usually it's qualified with another word to express his title. Further, like something like um, if we look at God Almighty, for instance, God is the singular El, and then his expression is Almighty, Shaddai, Shaddai. If we look at most high God, here we have God again, El, and then we have Elyon, most high. So God could have used the singular name for who he wants to be called, but he chooses not to. So God, we understand now there is this God and a plural of persons. Back then, it was many hints to who God was and is. If we just go down a few verses further, we get another hint in Genesis 1.26. This is profound. 
Because here God is making man and he comes down and he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, why would God make a statement like that? If he was this strict monotheistic God, let us make man in our image is way far from that. In fact, we couldn't even get the gist of what he was talking about back then. Even up to the first century, we didn't have a clue. Then we come to Genesis 2-4, as God shows us a little more about who he is. Again, this is Joe with 1530 Apologetics, and we'll see you in the second half as we begin to talk and illustrate about proper theology or theology proper. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85% of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Join Creation Fellowship's and T's Apologetics Speaker Series Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. via Zoom. First Peter verse 3 chapter 15 says, To always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Creation Fellowship Santee's brand name apologetic speakers will do just that. Equip you with the knowledge and tactics to explain your Christian faith. Get equipped Thursday nights at 6.30. Learn more on Facebook and YouTube at Creation Fellowship Santee or email Santee at gmail.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona on K-Praise. How you doing? We're back in the second part and we're talking about proper theology or theology proper. And we were talking about Elohim, a word using for God, his his title to describe him. But if we go to Genesis uh, 2-4, this is now the second chapter of the book of Genesis. Uh, we show a little more, he shows a little more about himself. It tells us there that this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now here for the first time in the Bible, God is actually not using a title, but he's actually calling his name He says, I am Lord. And any time you go in the Bible and you see all capital letters of Lord, that's Jehovah. Jehovah. That's not a title. That's actually his name. And then it says, Jehovah God. Jehovah Elohim. Still using this plural singular word. When we look at the name of Jehovah, it means the existing one. We hear this a lot when there weren't vows in the beginning of the days of Genesis of the Israelites. They didn't have vows for their words. So you had this tetragrammaton. It was Y H 
WH. And even when they would read the Holy Scriptures, um, they didn't like to pronounce God's name. And so they stopped doing that. And as a matter of fact, they start just using the word Adonai, which is a word that means Lord, instead of his name, because they thought they was using his name in vain. And later on, as we find out that they get that word Adonai and some other methods, and they begin to put vowels in Y-H-W-H. And so now we pronounce the word Jehovah, at least most of us do. Uh, Some others pronounce it in similar terms. But now we have a singular plural intensified title, a singular title, God, El, and then his name, Jehovah, with expressions like Almighty. We see these titles and names, and within them are the expressions of who God is, his attributes and nature. For instance, we find titles like God, Lord, Master, and then there's his name that expresses his glory and his majesty. We would see an expression like Lord God Almighty. That is Jehovah El Singular and Mighty Shaddai. Jehovah El Shaddai. But now we find a place in time in Genesis 15. We find Abraham talking to God about the promises of land, covenant agreements on bloodlines and an inheritance. And we find that as the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, he said to him, Abraham, fear not, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. To hear God, this almighty God, tell you something like that, and you've been seeing the work of God in your life, must be a thing that you would not forget, an emotion that you would hold in that this God wants to be personal with you. Why would he choose me out of all people? And I'm sure Abraham felt that way. But Abraham began to talk to him, and he said, God, Lord, Adonai, God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit the earth? So we find here Abraham, he calls him Lord. And this word Lord is not the Jehovah, his name, but actually Abraham is calling him Adonai. Adonai is is a title. It's someone with authority. We use this word a lot uh, back in the olden days when we talk about someone with authority. We would call him Lord, the landlord. That's where we get the name landlord. Rabbis, kings, they would come up to him and say, Lord, Adonai. And then he used a word God, which was a variation of Jehovah. So God said to him, I want you to come, uh, Abraham, and bring a three-year-old heifer, a cow, a calf, and a three-year-old goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham does that. He takes the calf and the goat and the ram and some birds, and God begins to tell him that he wants to make an agreement with them, a covenant. Then he brought all these to him, and he cut them in two, it says in verse 10, down the middle and placed them each piece opposite of the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. 
And it says that when the vultures came down on the carcasses, that Abraham drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down on verse 11, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham and behold, a whore of a great darkness fell upon him. And so here we see that it seems like Abraham's intention was not to let anything, let alone a bird picker, take the carcasses that these animals would be used as a covenant agreement between him and God. And he spent his energy driving the fowls away, these vultures. I don't know if you've ever been around vultures, but I remember one day walking up into a mountain and there was a dead cow there and there was about 30 vultures. These things, when you got up to them, they were huge. And I tried to run up to them, you know, up to like 15 feet up to them, thinking they would all fly away. But no, they just looked me down. A few flew up on the on the tree and they're just staring right at me. It's a big sight looking at vultures. And here Abraham was tossing these birds away saying, no, you're not going to touch these things as I'm making an agreement. And he's waiting for God to do whatever he's going to do. And then we find out that as he spent his energy driving the fowls away, that he fell into a, he fell into a tired, deep sleep And it's here where God began to speak to him. And God said, Abraham, know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs. And they shall serve them and they shall and they shall be afflicted for 400 years. So here we see God's sovereign providence and his accomplishments way into the future telling Abraham that his seed is going to be a stranger in the land and that they will be in slavery to the Egyptians. Now, Abraham had no clue that it was going to be the Egyptians, but God was already sovereignly declaring, foretelling the future events that was going to take place. And we know this by looking back. But Abraham, can you imagine him hearing this for 400 years? And God continues and he says, also the nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. Now here we see not only God's sovereignty, but we see God is declaring that he judges. He judges individuals. He judges cities. He judges nations. And there is a standard for wrongdoing and we will be judged by a just God. So here we are looking at Abraham. We're still in Genesis and we're really beginning to see a light as we put a light on who God is, a reflection of his glory and his attributes. But he went on and he said, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, or the iniquity or the wickedness of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, you got to picture this. Here, Abraham is in the land of the Canaan land. He knows about the Amorites, but he doesn't know what's going to take place 400 years later on as Israel would be in slavery Excuse me, Abraham is not thinking about 400 years and when that time will be when the Israelites will be in slavery. But God has taken it one step further. 
He's saying after four generations, after that, that Israel is going to come back to the land and they actually are going to do my judgment. Why? Because I have a judgment. I have a judgment on the Amorites. You see, when Israel was coming out of Egypt, they went to the land. They're coming to the land of promise. And they asked the Amorites if they could peacefully pass by through the land and that they would not take nothing of theirs, that they just wanted to get to the other side. And it's here that the Amorites wanted nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, they went to war with them. And God, God didn't forget that. God would hold that against them even while he's talking to Abraham and he's telling them this is what's going to happen in the future. So God holds us against the Amorites that they would be judged for attacking Israel rather than letting them cross freely. Here we find that God waited four generations to judge the Amorites. We know in scripture he did judge them. And we also see, and this is amazing, that God does not arbitrarily judge people. He waits until their sin is full and ripe for judgment. And at this point, God is sovereignly declaring things not yet accomplished and that they will indeed be done. So let us get back. And talk about these reasons why we are really, what we are really looking at in Genesis chapter 15. And it says that Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And it says as he's sleeping there that God, it actually, it says that, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lap passed between the pieces. And this was God declaring his covenant that he could not make a covenant with swearing by no one greater but by himself. And going through the carcasses, he was saying, I alone am making this covenant with you, Abraham. And we'll talk more about this next week as we talk about theology proper. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetic, and we'll see you next week. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.